Welcome to Inside Stories. I'm Tequila. And I'm Jen. Here on Inside Stories, we go inside live stories that have been told here in Madison at our live storytelling events. We interview the storyteller and kind of dig in and get the mechanics behind the story. This week we have James Edward Mills. And I guess first I want to say uh, welcome to season two of Inside Stories. So yes, welcome to season two. We, we declared that 15 episodes is a season. so And then we just um, replayed a couple episodes the last few weeks. And then we're at the start of season two. And I'm really happy that we have James here because actually... This podcast was actually your idea. <laughs> if yes, kind of. It was. Yeah. I, had, um, I had this idea that I was going to do a storytelling podcast about small businesses because I just published a book about my family's small business, and I know James has a podcast, so I asked him what I should do. And my favorite thing is actually when people tell me what to do because it, it's just easier in life. And James is like, no, 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 no. What you should be doing is a storytelling podcast from Madison. And um, – and so that's what we've been doing. And yes. so um, I'm really glad that we are having you on. <laughs> well, I'm glad to take full credit for yeah. the idea. Yeah. <laughs> and thanks for doing such a great job. I mean, 15 episodes is quite an accomplishment. So congratulations on season one. And I'm very happy to help you to kick off season two. Excellent. So we're going to listen to a story that James told at Cafe Coda. And then after we listen to the story and talk about it, we're also um, going to talk just James. Um, we'll talk about it later. He has a joy chip Joy Trip Project. He does amazing things all over the country and kind of the world, kind too. Kind of the world. So, yeah, so we're going to get into that, too. I spent my 44th birthday in a brothel in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Now, you might wonder how I managed to find myself there, but as it turns out, it was a product of what I could only describe as anxiety-induced amnesia. So what happened was I was on a reporting assignment, I'm a journalist, and was invited to visit Ethiopia to tour some of the nonprofit sites that are being created there, specifically Mother Teresa's um, orphanage and also a new series of schools that were being built by none other than Lululemon. And so when you go to Ethiopia, I, I, one of the things I realized is that it's not unlike any other place in America, and I'm going with a friend of mine who's a climbing instructor, and as a climber, one of the things that we do together is we set new routes on mountains that are in various parts of the world, and she had created this new route on an area called the, the uh, Geralta Mastiff, and she basically says, look, I just need you to come and help me set the routes. You don't have to worry about money. All you got to do is bring an ATM card. And with that ATM card, you can get all the cash that you need. And in Ethiopia, the currency is Ethiopian burr. And the exchange rate for Ethiopian burr is somewhere in the neighborhood of like 300 to 1. And so with a very small amount of burr, you can actually buy quite a, quite a few things. And so I thought, great. So I, I wind up in Ethiopia. It just happens to be my birthday, September the 18th, 2010. And I get... Get to my hotel, check in, need some cash, needed, a, um, needed to, um, to get a meal, maybe do some shopping, and I decided, great, I'll go to an ATM machine. So I go to the ATM machine, and I thought to myself, wow, wouldn't it suck if I forgot my pin code right now? <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. I'm literally the furthest I've ever been away from home in my entire life. I have the handful of dollars that I have in my pocket and no money. 
and I'm literally typing in every four-digit number that I can think of, and nothing happens. And if any of you have ever had an experience with the ATM machine, what happens if you put in the wrong number too many times? It will lock it up. It will take your card from you and have you go to your bank. Okay? My bank is 8,000 miles away. So every ATM machine, I would literally only do it twice, and then I would give up. So I'm literally trying every, every ATM machine within a city block, and I finally had to go to another location, and, and I'm thinking, okay, great, I will stop, and I will get in a cab, and I'll go to another, another spot. And I'm trying to explain to the driver who only speaks Amharic, which is the native language there, that I need to find an ATM machine. And I'm not making the translation. And a guy in front of my hotel says, you need ATM? I said, yes, I do. I show you ATM. I said, great. I work for a hotel. I would happily take you to ATM. I go, great. Um, here, let's get in the car. So he gets in the car with me, and we go to the nearest ATM machine. And we start exchanging pleasantries. His name is Daniel, and Daniel has lived in Ethiopia his entire life. His father was tragically killed in one of the Ethiopian wars, and his mom is trying to make her way through life doing the best she can, you know, trying to survive a, a horrible disease of which he was very unspecific, but it sounded like she was suffering terribly. But he works for the hotel, and he's very excited about being the entrepreneur that he is, and he would happily take me to an ATM machine. We get, get to another ATM machine, and again, I cannot remember the code. It's still not working. So then I started thinking, what can I do instead? So I'm thinking, okay, credit card cash advance. How about I get a credit card cash advance? I've got a credit card. They don't need necessarily a PIN code because it doesn't have a PIN code, so let's do that. So I said, where do you think I can do that? He goes, we go to the hotel. And I'm going, all right, so we'll go to a hotel. So he takes me to the, the Addis Ababa Sheridan, and it's this amazingly plush location. I mean, it's gorgeous. I mean, there's literal red velvet on the walls. There's supermodels walking through the, through the lobby. And I think, okay, this has got to be the place. So I go to the, the, there's actually a bank in the building. And I said, I need a cash advance on my credit card. And they said, well, how much would you like? And I said, well, I'm going to be in, in country for a little while. How about 3,000 Ethiopian burr? 3,000 burr translates roughly to about $187 and change. Not a lot of money, but believe it or not, that would actually be all the money I needed for almost two weeks in country. So I mean, great. So Daniel is waiting in the lobby for me and, and says, did you get the money? And I said, yes, you're a lifesaver. Thank you so much. He goes, great. How would you like some coffee? And I'm going, I'd love some coffee. I drink coffee. This is Ethiopia. They're famous for their coffee. Let's go get some coffee. So Daniel sweeps me up into the car and goes, this is my favorite Ethiopian coffee house. And we go into this narrow alley down a, a, a one-way street in the middle of Addis Ababa. And if you've ever been there, it's an amazing amalgamation of high-rise buildings and donkeys with free-flowing sewage in the streets. I mean, it's quite literally, you know, where... Luxury means poverty all in one place. And we just happen to go down this one narrow street, and I'm in there, the only person, and Daniel sits me down um, on basically in someone's home. It's a house. And we sit down, and then all of a sudden, um, out from a side room comes about nine 
girls between the ages of 14 and 17. And I'm, I'm sitting there, and they go, oh, we'll do coffee ceremony for you. I'm like, great, that, that sounds wonderful. I, I would really like this. So they, they start roasting the beans, they're boiling water, and they're pouring coffee. And so Daniel is sitting next to me, and then suddenly this woman about the age of 25 sits down next to me, and she says, and she starts talking to me in a mark. And I'm like, sorry, I don't speak a mark. I'm, I'm from America. And he goes, you're not Ethiopian? And I said, no, you look Ethiopian. And I said, well, yeah, I'm from the United States. You've heard of Wisconsin? <laughs> and she said, no. I said, it's, it's like Chicago, just higher, further up north. And she goes, oh, that's very funny. And she wasn't thinking it was funny at all. She was just trying to be polite. Anyway, she says, would you like to dance? And I said, no, but, I, but thank you. And she says, the girls, they will dance for you. And I'm like going, yeah, that, that sounds great. Can I have some coffee? So I'm literally just thinking, where's the coffee coming into this equation? And so these girls, are, they start dancing. And this woman says to me, you see you like? And I said, what do you mean? And then Daniel leans over and he goes, what kind of girl you like? And I held up my ring finger. I said, my wife. He goes, no, 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 no. We have coffee, Ethiopian style. And I said, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> he goes, oh, no, you can have anything you want. And I said, no, that's not, this is not going to happen. You know, so I'm thinking, all right, fine. You know, I need to get out of here. And I literally said, what do I have to do to leave right now? He goes, how about you order drinks for everyone in the house? And there's only about eight people. I'm thinking, what could it possibly cost? You know, so I said, sure, let's do that. Because we order soda. I go, great. So you... Out comes this, this tray of bottles, and he opens up all the bottles, and um, he sits them down, and, and all the girls come, they each grab a bottle of soda, and they, they, they toast to me, and they go off to their respective rooms, and they start to, to drink their soda, and I go, great, and then the check comes, 3,000 Ethiopian birds, and I said, great, here's all the money I've got, you saw this was going to happen, but I'm, I'm going to let you go. Here's the deal. No one works tonight. Okay, we closed. Thank you. It's, a, it's always interesting to me hearing a story a second time, you know, because I remembered that I liked your story, and then I get to hear it again and remember why I liked it. And there's lots of things I liked about it, but the one thing that um, – that really stuck with me is sort of the, the what you said at the end, because I feel like all of us, like I'm often in situations, not this situation, but in situations where I don't know what to do in the moment. You know, I don't know what the right thing to say is. And 20 minutes later, half an hour later, I'm home like, oh, damn it, I should have said this or done this. And like in the moment, like you should have said and did the perfect thing, you know, but they're like, no one works tonight. You know, like you were able to think on your feet really quick. And do you, could you, do you remember that moment? Yeah, I think I do. And it was, what well, gosh, now almost 10 years ago. And it was one of the things that I, I didn't share in the story, but uh, was in the written account that I wrote on this, um, in a short story that I wrote called A Fistful of Burr in my, on my, on my website. That, yeah. And I had just done an interview with um, a woman from National Geographic who had done this amazing um, 
uh, I guess you would describe it as a photojournalist essay on um, brothels in, in China and Thailand. And, and she really outlined um, for me what sex, sex trafficking was all about. You know, and you know, and it really occurred to me that you know these were women who were basically selling themselves for relatively small amounts of money, but enough money so that they could live comfortably in the communities that they happen to live in. You know, and at the time, I'm thinking, Jesus, this is you know, three thousand Ethiopian birds, one hundred eighty-seven dollars to me, but it's probably more money than they'll see in weeks. And I'm thinking, you know what? I can part with this, <laughs> you know, and especially if I can take some of the the pressure off of um, their experience as sex workers for at least one day. And and Daniel at the time, you know, really felt like he had me over a barrel, and 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 technically he did, because frankly. I, did, I literally had no idea where I was. You know, night had fallen, so it was dark. You know, I had to get out of there. And I'm thinking, well, the, the best thing I can do is just give him every anything that he wanted. And at the time, all I had was that money. And I felt like if I could extricate myself from the situation and hopefully alleviate some of the the difficulties of the, of the people that were there, that's the best thing that I can do in other circumstances. And so, you know... I, Handed over, handed over my money, and then basically I defaulted to zero. <laughs> you know, so I had no more money. Right back where you started. Yeah, exactly, right back where I started from, and still couldn't remember my pin code. Yeah, yeah. Well, you did a really good job of constructing the story from like beginning to end. I like how um, the story changes my mind initially from what I thought. So obviously, when you opened it up, you kind of talked about you found yourself in a brothel. I'm like, oh, this creep. And then at the end, it's kind of like, oh, such a nice guy. So that was really. Um, Really witty. I like how you did that. Oh, I don't know thanks. if you did it intentionally or if it just kind of happened. Well, you know, and, and frankly, I to this day, I can't believe that I wound up in an Ethiopian brothel right. on my mm-hmm. first day. Right. You know, and I think that for a lot of people, when you start that way, they op- automatically go to where your mind went. And I like the idea of being able to uh, set up a set of false expectations and kind of deconstruct the narrative so that it gets you to a completely different place by the time you get to the end. And apparently that that's what happened for you. And that's, you know, frankly, what I was, what I was intending. I really wanted you to, to, you know, really kind of think about, you know, even through the course of this story, you know, I, I was one, I'm, I'm, I had hoped that you would constantly think, so how does he get to a brothel? Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. you know, it's like, at what, at what point does he find himself in a, in a, and cause you know, right up until the moment in, and that, that's actually the way it was for me. I mean, right up until the moment I got there. I had no idea that's where I was right. going, right. you know, and, and, and as a storyteller, my goal in this was to hopefully be able to construct a narrative that would put you in the same place so that just like me, you would suddenly find yourself in a brothel having to have a, um, an emotional and uh, perhaps a, a philosophical dilemma that you have to resolve in your own mind. Right. I was trying to figure out if the reason why I was suspicious of that guy right away was because you let us know you end up in a brothel. Because when you got in the car with him, I'm like, okay, why? What's going to happen in the car? And then, you, and then I don't know if you said it intentionally, but when he was talking about his mother, yeah, and you said, like, oh, I don't like and that you dude. said, and you said he was very, um, very unspecific. I'm like, of course he was unspecific. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> right, you right. know, um, right? I mean, in retrospect, you know, it was unspecific. But I mean, I, you know, at the time, yeah, I, and he had my my rapt attention, and he right. was actually very charming and charismatic. You know, he spoke really good English, right. you know, and um, and I was still convinced that he worked for the hotel. Right. You know, and and 10 years later, I'm thinking, how did, did right. I 
but possibly think right. that he worked for the hotel. Right. You know, and, and I think part of it was, you know, I'm standing outside in the cab stand. The hotel is, you know, right there. And he kind of comes in from that general direction. And so I didn't know, you know, what his professional circumstances was. I just drew a lot of conclusions mm-hmm. that ultimately was part of his plan to, you know, get me into the car and to basically take my money. Right. Well, the thing that's interesting about that too, and I guess 10 years ago, maybe you hadn't been doing as much travel, but the thing about James, and we could talk about this, like you travel all over the world, you know I mean? Like you, you're, Mm -hmm. you're like, you're not some rube who's never left, you know, his hometown before, you know what I mean? Like you, so, so you getting fooled makes me feel a lot better about anytime (laughs) I've gotten fooled. Right. That's a good way to look at it. Well, yeah, that is is a good way of looking at it. But, you know, but frankly, no, I mean, I was 40, you know, 44 at the time. And, you know, frankly, this is not my first international trip. Right. You know, um, now I will say though, that, um, you know, this is the first time that I didn't, you know, have, you know, some easy way to get cash, you know, or at the very least knew exactly how I was going to get. I mean, I literally had no money. Right. You know, I, I might have had 10 bucks, you know, from the airport to get there. And and that was actually kind of one of my, and continues to be one of my biggest dilemmas, because every once in a while, a, a really great travel opportunity comes up, and I literally have to just drop everything. And, I, and there's very little planning involved. And inevitably, something happens that had I had more time to plan, I might have been able to avoid it. And this is, you know, this is kind of one of those circumstances because my, my friend basically said, look, just bring your ATM card. You'll be fine. Right. You know, but and to this day, I mean, I, I have this this horrible fear of, again, what I describe as anxiety induced um Gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? See, I, I've already Amnesia. forgotten. Amnesia. Thank you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I can literally forgot, you know, and, and I'm sure this has happened to a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, but I think that this is my trigger, you know, yeah. like, you know, desperately wanting not to forget. And that's exactly what I did. Well, I mean, when you were saying that, I mean, I like I very much um, believe in the jinx factor. Oh, of course. You know? oh, sure. And I yeah. feel like the, like the second year, like when your brain just does you in, when your brain's like, what, don't forget. And you're like, well, then it's too late. Like, right, it's exactly. already, it's it's already, already over. over right. Yeah, you're done. Yeah, exactly. The last thing you want to do is forget. And that's the first thing you do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, could you just tell people listening just a little bit about the Joy Trip Project and yeah. some of the work you do around the country? Sure. Well, I, I'm technically I'm an, I'm a freelance journalist and independent media producer um, based here in Madison. I have a specialty in outdoor recreation and environmental conservation, with a further specialty in diversity, equity, inclusion, and public land management. And so, basically, what that means is I work to try to in to get more people of color, especially, but anybody who, for whatever reason, doesn't feel um, comfortable and in, included in the current narrative when it comes to uh, outdoor recreation or spending time in nature or travel, you know, um, and hopefully being able to, to kind of reconstruct the narrative around who spends time in the outdoors and who doesn't. Um, I wrote a book. Um, about five years ago called it The Adventure Gap, Changing the Face of the Outdoors. And um, that's, among other things, a long narrative about the role that people of color have played in history, you know, when it comes to things like the creation of our national parks or, you know, early stage adventure narratives, you know, going all the way back to the turn of the last century in the 1900s. And so, you know, this particular trip was, you know, kind of a another example of that uh, so if you're if you're listening and you're someone who you know likes to 
go on to other people's websites, you should definitely check out the Joy Trip Project. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. And can people follow you on Facebook? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Joy Trip Project on Facebook or joytripproject.com on the web. Yeah. So, I mean, the photos that you post are amazing. And first oh, of all, you're amazing. a photographer. And you, I was going to say, he takes pictures yeah. too, and they are outstanding. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And there's just corners of the world and country just you, most of us haven't seen. So I highly, highly recommend it. Yep. Well, thanks for coming on. This was fun listening to your story. This is great, and and, you know, I told that story a while ago. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna confess. I feel like I could do it better, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to tell this story again sometime. So, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to share it, and um, I look forward to continuing to follow along in season two and and continue the great work that you're doing. So, I think what you guys are doing is great, and and I'm not gonna take full credit for it, but you made it happen. Yeah. Well. Yes. Well, thank you. Well, thank Thank you. you. (laughs) And um, yeah. That's it. (laughs) Bye. So this week we're adding a a new kind of story to our podcast, and we're going to feature a local small business here in Madison. And both Dakila and I are fans both of Jasmine Banks and her business, Perfect Imperfections. So she's here in the studio to talk a little bit about her business and herself. All right. So as Jen mentioned, I am Jasmine Banks from Perfect Imperfections, the CEO and founder. My family has actually been in Madison for five generations, um, from my grandpa all the way to my grandchildren. And I started Perfect Imperfections because my mom passed away from cervical cancer. And so from there, I started to look at the different ingredients that we put on our skin, which is our largest organ. Um, because we always talk about the things that we eat instead of the things that we put into on our skin, which is our largest organ, and the things that sleep into our bloodstream. So I started to research different ingredients, and the first thing I started with was toothpaste, actually. So I went on Google and started... Always to, dangerous. <laughs> I know, right? So started to just um, look up the words on the back of the box and the ingredients, and um, I was astounded by the things that were coming up. So um, harmful in small doses. And I kept thinking, but if we're using toothpaste from the time that, you know, we start to have teeth um, for the rest of our lifetime, and we're ingesting this, where's it going? Because we're always taught, you know, like, not to swallow it. But at some point, you're getting some of it into your stream, you know. And so um, I started to research how to make my own. And I made my own toothpaste, and I was journaling it on Facebook. And one of my friends said, the same ingredients that you're using in toothpaste, you can make your own deodorant. Oh. Yeah. So then I started to make my own deodorant. And um, then people started saying, how much do you sell it for? And I'm like, I don't sell this. You know, because it was just me. It was just for my own personal use. And then enough friends asked me um, to could they purchase it? And so I got some girlfriends together and we had a craft fair at the Urban League. Nice. And I made at that time just sugar scrub and soap and sold out. And so at that point, I was like, okay, maybe this actually can turn into a business. And so from there, that's when Perfect Imperfection started. Um, I couldn't leave my dad out because the products are because of my mom. So I couldn't leave my dad out. And I was looking for a name. And I had actually went to Jam on Johnson and ran into the owner of the Robin Room. And I asked him, I said, well, how did you come up with your name for the Robin Room? And so he told me, he said, my last name is Vogel. And in German, that means bird. And the state bird of Wisconsin is the Robin. Oh. Oh. Right? So I was like, okay, so it has to have some kind of meaning. Right. And then, um, like I said, the products were because of my mom. I couldn't leave out my dad. And when we were, when I was six, my parents got divorced. But my dad was like the perfect dad. So growing up, I knew that he wasn't meant to be a husband. 
but he was mm-hmm. meant to be a dad. Mm-hmm. And so he was like the perfect dad. But as we all have imperfections, he had his imperfections. And so that's where the name came from. Oh, that's like so that. lovely. That's cool. I never knew that. Yeah, yeah thank Aww. you. So um, I am just a big booster in general of small businesses. And not every business can have like a brick and mortar, right? Lots of people run businesses out of their homes. And so anyone listening to this, you know, I would say if you have to get these kind of products, Go online. How would they find you? Um, so I actually have a Facebook page, okay. so Perfect Imperfection 608. I have an Instagram page, Perfect Imperfection 608. And I will be launching my website, which I'm really nervous about, but nervously That's excited. Exciting. That's awesome. I know, right? So I'll be going online um, in mid-September. And then people can just go on and place an order with you? When I start my website, they will be okay. able to. Okay, yep. great. Otherwise, yep. you're at lots of fairs in Madison. I am. So expos, smaller expos as well. Mm -hmm. So I will be at the Madison Museum of Contemporary Art, um, Art and Gift Fair in November. And then, um, so that'll be my first actual fair of the season, the holiday season. And I'm also in Stone Fence on Atwood Avenue, and then J&J Craftworks in Verona. Great. And I think both of us can attest to how great your soaps and, and scrubs are. are. <laughs> thank you. The lip stuff you made that uh, you sold out of at the right? Black Friday. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. And, you know, I think, you know, we hope to do more of these in the future because I feel like every small business has an origin story. And so um, thanks for sharing yours. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that was a very well-told story. I didn't know he was such a good storyteller. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's quite a story. <laughs> yeah, but I liked how he put it together. And uh, I do recommend people trying to find him on his website because he has so many interesting stories. There's one, I think he was like the official photographer to follow the official Christmas tree that goes in the White House. And he has, oh, like, I remember him yeah, talking about that. And he drives that. across the country mm-hmm. like with the tree. So anyhow, um, I recommend recommend checking him out. All right, great. So I guess just a couple things. Um, if this, if you're new to listening to this podcast at the start of our season two, go back and listen to our other 15 episodes. We have some really good episodes. Um, we, feel free to, you could email us at insidestoriespodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from people. Or find us on Facebook, Inside Stories Podcast, because we share photos on that. Um, I don't know what else. If you have any ideas for podcasts in terms of storytelling divisions we should check out around town, feel free to send them to us. So if you know of anything, also same thing for any music um, artists out there that would like to have their music featured on our podcast. We're still open to doing that so they can send us clips. Sounds good. Um, I want to thank Richard uh, for doing our audio and sharing this space. Um, I also, oh, actually, I do want to mention, so um, James is works with the uh, Nelson Institute, um, and he's, uh, and I'm, and I'm helping him with this too. He's doing a two-part storytelling workshop for anyone who's interested in how you tell stories about public land, and that's going to be September 19th and September 12th, so check that out too. You could find that online as well. And what else is coming up with the moth? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Grand Slam is September 20th. And if you don't have your ticket, there's, I think, maybe 100 left for the Barrymore. It's going to be an amazing night. So um, you should check that out. Definitely don't miss it. And uh, see you next week. See you next week. Thanks.